Hi, my name is Eddie, and you're listening to the Kuyanet Podcast, where we discuss the Bible, mission, theology, and world Christianity. Don't forget to subscribe if you don't want to miss any future episodes. Welcome. Hello. This uh, video is somewhat different to my normal offerings. It is likely to be slightly longer, and I'm focusing on what I think mission agency leadership that's boards, uh, executive teams, what they need to do. So I'm speaking specifically to mission agency leaders, to their boards. Now, I hope it will be interesting to other folks, people who are not in those roles, but I'm basically aiming at um, mission agency people. And let me say, I'm going to say some things which might seem slightly critical. Um, I am committed to mission agency models. I've worked with one particular mission agency, Wycliffe Bible Translators, since the mid-1980s. That's almost 40 years. And that's where my heart lies. However, I do think that if there is a future for mission agencies, we have to think very differently to the way that we have been thinking up to now. And I hope that this video will spur some thought and some reflection into new ideas. Um, the video will come out both as a video and as an audio podcast. If you're getting the podcast, I'm afraid you won't get the graphs um, and some pictures. However, on the on the plus side, you don't get to look at my face, which is also a bit of an advantage. Um, there will be links to everything I refer to either under the video or on the podcast show notes. So. Without further ado, let's start by asserting one thing that I am absolutely certain of in terms of what we call world mission. And to get that, we go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. And I remain absolutely convinced that he has been building his church and he will build his church until the day he returns. Nothing is going to stop that. Um, it is Jesus' work and he will do his stuff. The church will be built and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And just in case you haven't got the picture of what Jesus is saying here, gates are not an offensive weapon. We are storming hell and rescuing souls for eternity. That is what Jesus is saying. Now, in some ways, this is illustrated. If you just skip to from Matthew to the book of Acts and to the very end of Acts, chapter 28, uh, verse 15. The brothers, this is Paul, he's... Um, going to Rome and he is uh, after all sorts of problems and on the way he eventually gets to the port of Rome and we read the brothers and sisters the, the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming the brothers and sisters there we've not previously been told about these brothers and sisters now there is a mention in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, that there were some people from Rome who were there, but that's just a passing mention. Where did all these brothers and sisters who came to greet Paul come from? 
we have the stories of Paul. We see him as the greatest missionary travelling around. Up to this point, he hadn't been to Rome. Jesus was building his church behind the scenes, not in the light of this greatest missionary. And I think that is one thing that we just need to keep in the background. Jesus is building his church and our structures, the things that we know we're doing, are only part of it. He is on the way building his church. So let's turn to mission agencies. Now, um, the mission agencies we have today, the um, all the different organisations that many of us are familiar with, um, they date back to William Carey. In 1792, he produced a, a book with the snappy title, An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. And if you think that's long, the subtitle was In Which the Religious State of the Different Nations of the World the successes of former undertakings and the practicability of further indications are considered. That's a nice easy title. Now, a title notwithstanding, I really recommend that you get hold of a copy of um, Carey's Inquiry. It's an excellent book. It, it is a brilliant example of how to do missions communication, albeit it's over 200 years old. He starts off by giving a biblical case for being involved in mission. He talks about what's already happening in the world and then he makes suggestions for new ways of getting involved. And one of his suggestions was based on the private companies which were then funding commercial ventures around the world, ventures for exploration and trading. And his idea was to create a structure that would be modelled on these companies but would be in order to propagate the gospel around the world to what he called the heathen. Now, Carey's structures, the, the first one was the, um, the Baptist Missionary Society, and from then on, other organisations developed, and basically we have the structures that we have today, but they go back to Carey. Now, it is important to note that this was 200 years ago. Carey was speaking in a situation which is different to the one that we're in today. And it is my view that in today's context, mission agencies face a significant crisis. I don't know if you're aware of the case of the Andrea Gale, a ship whose um, story was told in the book and the film A Perfect Storm. Um, there were basically, when the Andrea Gale was lost, it was sailing out in a storm that there were three different storms that met together off the northeast coast of the states. There were three um, depressions which met and reinforced each other and made it impossible to sail. Um, when I watched the movie, I was expecting that something wonderful would happen at the end and everybody would be saved. But no, the storm overwhelmed the ship. And it is my view that mission agencies today in the UK are facing a perfect storm and we have three different trends which are building up together and which threaten to overwhelm us. The first trend is the growth of the church around the world. 
when Carey wrote his inquiry, there was basically the Western world was seen as Christian and there were very few Christians around the rest of the world. And sending missionaries from the West to the rest made sense. The other, uh, uh, the second key point is the recession of the church in the UK. Um, anybody who is my age or, or, or younger, you will have seen that there are fewer churches, fewer Christians. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then the third factor, which is impacting mission agencies, is the proliferation of mission agencies. Um, Kerry started in 1792, there was the one agency. Very soon after that, a whole load more were formed and the trend has continues for more and more agencies to be founded. And again, we'll get into that later. So let's start with the growth of the church around the world. The first thing to note and, and to keep in mind is the church has always been international. By the time the church reached England, there was already a Christian presence, for example, in China. And for the first thousand years of Christian history, the majority of believers lived in Asia. The first government-sponsored translation of the Bible was in Armenia, and that was in the 5th century. And the oldest Christian communities in the world are still in the Middle East. There is a wonderful story. It's probably apocryphal, but it's good enough to tell anyway, of um, a young missionary, a young evangelical missionary, going into a, an area in the Middle East in Syria and finding a bunch of Christians meeting. And he was astonished because there were not supposed to be any Christians there, according to his view. So he asked, who planted the church here? And the Christians stopped and thought for a while and said, uh, we think it was the Apostle Paul. But the church has been international all its history. But over the last 150 years or so, we have seen an explosion, a spreading of the gospel around the world in a way which had never happened before. So Philip Jenkins says, if we want to visualise a typical contemporary Christian, we should think of a woman living in Nigeria or a Brazilian favela. Kwame Bediako, the Ghanaian missiologist, talks about the revival of a non-Western religion. Christianity is a non-Western religion. It started in the Middle East and is being revived as an international religion over the last 150 years. Now, the fact that the church is growing around the world, it's exploding around the world, causes some issues for mission agencies. Just a question of, you know, where is the mission field? Um, for Kerry, it was easy. You know, you go from Britain to almost anywhere outside of Europe and there is a mission field. Where is it now? There are more Christians in cities like um, Lagos or Nairobi than in most British cities. So what does mission look like? And that question then is, what is our mission? Um, for Kerry, it was making disciples of the heathen. It was announcing the gospel. What does mission look like in places where the majority of people or a significant minority are believers. We're also seeing 
a change in the na nature of mission. Because these growing churches around the world are not passive. They too are being involved in mission. But very often, their approach to mission is different to ours. Um, the head of the World Evangelical Alliance Missions Commission, Jay Matenga, who is of a, a, a Maori background, he talks about industrial mission, in which he sees the Western very organised, um, highly funded forms of mission, our mission agencies, and he contrasts that with what he calls indigenous mission, which is more organic, more independent missions that are springing up within the church around the world, more people orientated, more community orientated, less financially driven. But this contrast between indigenous and industrial mission is a feature of the church that we're living in. Another issue for us as um, mission agencies is when we're looking at mission, when we're looking at our work, the global church has a legitimate voice in what we're doing. If we are working in someone else's country, then the church in that country has a legitimate voice into, what, into our decisions. We can't just work as if they didn't exist. The other thing I would mention just on this is that we in the West are very happy to give. We are much less happy to receive. We have a rather paternalistic, a rather superior attitude to the church and the rest of the world that it is our role to give to them. It is their role to receive from us, not perceiving that we need to receive from others as well. So that's the church, growth of the church around the world. The recession of the church in the UK. Church attendance in Britain declined by more or less a half between 1930 and 2010, despite the fact that the population exploded during that time. The percentage of people going to church has declined precipitously over the last 50, 100 years. Um, it's just obvious. And many churches now are majority elderly um, and further decline is predicted. Now, over the last 10-15 years, the overall decline has slowed, has arrested. But that is almost entirely due to the growth of black majority churches in the large cities. The decline in white indigenous Brits going to church continues, but that is being um, counterbalanced by a growth in immigrants in diaspora churches across the UK, which in itself is significant for how we get involved in mission. One of the big challenges is for mission agencies is how do they engage diaspora churches? Um, very few of the agents have managed to do so successfully so far. Now, so what are the implications of these changes in the UK? Well, the first thing I'd say is that um, we now have new opportunities to reach the unreached in the UK. Um, 
you don't have to go to Afghanistan to reach Afghanis with the gospel. There are Afghanis in every major city in the UK and we need to rethink how we reach those people and many agencies are putting good thoughts into that. However, one feature of the decline in the church in the UK is that churches are increasingly focusing on local mission. They are concentrating on how do they reach people in their own backyard rather than thinking about how do we reach people on the other side of the planet. Um, and, you know, it, it is understandable. You can guess, see why that might be the case. But declining churches very often feel they don't have the energy, the personnel or the money to reach the rest of the world when they are struggling to reach the people across the street. Churches don't need agencies. One of the things that uh, we see is a growth in churches having direct links with other parts of the world. Travel is just so much easier than it used to be. Covid has put a bit of a, a damper on that, but things are picking up again. People go on safari to East Africa. They meet a, a bunch of orphans or they meet people who uh, who are suffering in some way. They decide they want to do something, something about it. And their church sets up a project to help such and such a village. You see that all the time. It is very, very common. And yet, and church, churches don't need agencies for much of what they want to do. And that's a problem for agencies. Um, I would just sort of throw in a, a problem here in that churches, when they get directly involved, almost always get directly involved with something that is happening in a part of the world where they speak English, where coincidentally you can go on a nice holiday. I don't see many churches um, in the UK picking up partnerships with play churches in war zones or supporting people where you have to speak um, a language other than English. It is There is still a place there for mission agencies to go to the difficult places. Another issue with the changes in the church in the UK is the supporter base for mission agencies is getting older. Um, and that's just part of life. The church is getting older, the supporter base for mission agencies is getting older, and they will be dying. On one hand, that is great for legacy giving, but in the long on the other hand, it's not quite so good for long-term ongoing support. Another issue um, is that the growing millennial generation sees mission very differently to the way that my generation did. Um, in terms of involvement with people, involvement with projects, what they see as being key in the Bible is different. And we're going to have to get to grips with that as agencies. The next thing that I would highlight, um, the third part of the perfect storm, is the proliferation of mission agencies. There are a lot of us. If you go to almost any Christian festival, go to Keswick or something like that, there will be a hall where the mission agencies set out their wares, set out their stall, a mission zone. And there are lots of them. And to, you know what? The majority of them don't even go to places like Keswick or CRE. Um, 
the number of mission agencies is incredible. In this, um, in this graph, and uh, this graph is taken from a paper that I wrote called uh, A Snapshot of Mission Agencies in the 21st Century. You can download it uh, from my website, uh, links below. But this is the, this shows the number of agencies founded per decade or per, per period of time. Before 1850, there were about two agencies founded. Then the period from 1850 to 1899, four were founded. And growth was slow, but coming to the 1990s, 25, 20, well, about 27 new mission agencies were founded. And still in 2000, there are another 17. And then post 2010, we've seen 20 new agencies and I've not updated those figures for two or three years. So there is still mission agencies being founded. The church is declining in the UK, but there are more and more agencies coming into being. This second, age, second graph looks at um, agencies, their finances and what they do. Um, it's a little complex, so let me talk you through it. Each dot represents an agency. And if you want to know where my methodology comes from, you can find it in the paper, a snapshot. So each dot is an agency. The graph, the timeline along the bottom shows when they were founded. The, um, the vertical axis shows the income of the agency, and that's taken from their own financial reports for the year 2019. So across the bottom, when agencies were founded, going upwards, how much money they had as income in 2019. Um, and it's a log scale, if, that, if that's something that means something to you. The different coloured dots are what I find interesting. The orange or yellowy dots represent agencies who, from their own website, are clearly involved in some sort of evangelistic activity. The blue ones are agencies which, from their website, are not involved in evangelism. And again, you can find my definition of terms in the paper. I think this is fascinating because if, as you look at the graph, you can see that somewhere around the 1960s, there was a massive increase in the number of smaller agencies who were not directly involved in evangelism. And over the last 50 years, we've seen a huge growth in small entrepreneurial agencies who make a big splash. They're very good at publicity, who are not evangelistically orientated, but there are lots of them. And that's the world that we're living in. And what this means for agencies is that there are far more of us fishing in a shrinking pond. There's less fewer Christians out there, but there are more mission agencies. And that is not sustainable. For mission agencies today, the one thing that I think we have to grasp is that the status quo is not sustainable. The global church has changed significantly and what we are called on to do, the way we are called on to engage, has to change because of that. The UK supporter base is shrinking. We cannot 
expect or rely on finances the way we have been able to do so in the past. The number of agencies is growing. And so that means more competition. Now, we're very polite. We don't say we compete, but in the end we do. Let's be honest about it. And we are facing more competition for smaller resources in a changing world. And at this point in mid 2022, I'd also say that COVID has accelerated all of these trends. Things are changing faster than they used to. Now, with that background, I'd like to ask two questions. The first is, are we viable? As mission agencies, are we viable? Now, typically, this is the area where mission agency leaderships and boards devote a lot of time. It's the domain of financial reports, risk registers, and all the stuff that is required of, of agencies, of charities, by the Charities Commission. You've got to put a lot of time and a lot of effort into this. And, and in my experience, this is where mission agencies and their boards spend the vast bulk of their time. A second question, and a question which is much more important, but actually far harder to answer, is are we relevant? Now, it is easy for an agency to tell positive stories. We could be have lots of good stories to tell. We can make dramatic videos, we can make great publicity in magazines and websites. We can raise funds, we can recruit missionaries, we can get people praying. We can be doing all those things which apparently show success and show that the agency is viable, but we could be doing that without being relevant to what God is doing in the world today. And that is key. Just take the example of my own agency, Wycliffe. We could be translating hundreds of Bibles or Bibles into hundreds of languages. We'd be able to show statistical growth of the number of languages with scripture. We could show that number of Bibleless peoples is decreasing. We could do all that. But if the way that we were translating those Bibles didn't take into consideration the concerns of the local people, the people whose languages they were, if they didn't take into account the situation on the ground, the different um, socio-linguistic factors and what local people see as needs for translation. If we just applied our criteria from the West without considering what local people wanted or needed, it would look viable, but it would not be relevant. Now, let me quickly say, I think Wycliffe do a good job of taking into consideration those issues. Not that we couldn't always Im improve, but just because we're viable doesn't mean we're relevant. And that's the real question. The question that must face the leadership of every mission agency today is, are we relevant? Do we matter? Not, are we active? Not, are we doing stuff? Not, are we raising funds? Not, are we recruiting missionaries? Do we matter? Is what we're doing relevant to where God is taking the church today? Now, I think there are a number of reasons why agencies can lose relevance. 
The first is to just be, have a lack of awareness of realities on the field, not be aware of what's happening. And that happens when you work to a UK agenda. Um, in its crudest sense, and putting it in sort of simple and uh, over simple terms, mission agencies exist to raise funds, to raise people, to raise awareness in the UK, to send people funds overseas. In order to do that, you have to attract the attention of British Christians. And it is easy, very easy, to fall into the trap of working to an agenda which pleases, which attracts folks in the UK, but which is not listening to the realities on the field. Um, where people may not always want the things which people in the UK want to provide for them. Another way in which we can um, lack relevancy is if we remove agency from other people. Um, if you ever watch TV in the afternoons on uh, commercial channels, you, you can see adverts for charities raising money for um, various aid projects. And very often they are presented as if people in Africa or whichever part of the world have got no say and no ability to do things in their own lives. They're just waiting for Western donors to solve their problems. Christians around the world are entrepreneurial, they are thoughtful, and they know their own problems and have solutions to their own problems very often. Um, yes, they may need some help, but help is only appropriate if it builds on their agency, their ability, their capacity. If we just come from the outside and dump solutions, that's not going to help. Another way in which we can fall into a lack of relevancy is just by doing what we've always done. Um, evangelical Christians are entrepreneurial, they like change, but they can also be very, very traditional. Um, how often have you heard people say, this is not the agency I joined? If we, well, if it was, your agency's becoming irrelevant. We need to be changing as the needs around us change. And the needs are changing rapidly as the church grows around the world and as the church declines in the UK. Another way in which we can lack relevancy is if we do somebody else's job. Um, do we just take over what local churches are doing or other agencies? Not focusing on our particular God-given God -given, um, role and just spreading out and filling niches that other people are already involved in can make us irrelevant. And the last thing, and I think this is particularly a problem for boards, is that we can believe our own publicity. Can I say gently, as someone who has written quite a lot of publicity for mission agencies, take it with a pinch, take your own agency's publicity with a pinch of salt. It's not that it's not true, it's just that the situation is always far more complex than a short magazine or website article can ever tell. Don't believe 
that that is the whole story. Don't believe your own publicity or don't make, um, don't build decisions on your own publicity. With that in mind, I think we have to ask the question, is the mission agency model viable today? If William Carey was looking at the world today and looking at a way to get the British church involved in what God is doing around the world, where the church is exploding while it is receding here, would he have come up with the model of mission agencies? I suspect not. However, that's what we've got and it's what we've got to deal with and we've got to live with. And our role is to make sure that agencies become relevant or maintain relevancy in a changing world. And that, I think, the way we deal with this is we have to be careful about who we listen to. As boards, as leadership teams, who are the people that we listen to in order to make our decisions? First people we should be listening to are missionaries and agency staff. Getting reports for what is happening on the field, on the ground, what's happening in the home office, we need that basic information. Most agency boards that I've encountered are pretty good at doing that. They'll often have sort of a missionary who's home on home leave come in and talk about what they're doing at the board meeting. However, that is not enough information to make decisions in a changing world. You should also be listening to people from other agencies. How do other groups do it? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? If the only agency you ever think about or ever listen to is your own, you won't learn. So what are other agencies doing? What are they struggling with? Talk to them. Get the director of a competitive, a competitor, one of the other agencies that is doing similar things to you. Get them to come along to your board meeting and learn from them and reciprocate. I think we need to be listening to academics. One of the um, things that I demonstrated in my PhD research was that there is an awful lot of thinking, good theological thinking about the future of mission happening in the academy. And for the most part, mission agency leadership is unaware of it. Um, we need to be listening to academics. We also need to be listening to national partners. Who are the people you are working with around the world what do they think of what you are doing? And find people who will speak honestly and tell you the truth. Um, it is very difficult for a national partner to speak to a board or a leadership team back in the UK because they are aware of what it is they, you know, how much they owe you. But allow them to speak freely and to share their pain as well as their struggles. There are also quite a few good books written by um, Christians from other parts of the world about their interaction with mission agencies. Turn to one of those. Other people we should listen to are nationals who are not partners. Just say, for example, you are a fund-granting organisation. As a mission agency, your role is to provide um, grants to organisations in such and such a country. Now, it's great to talk to the people to whom you are giving grants. You will learn quite a bit that way. 
But what about the people who wouldn't touch you with a barge pole? Why don't they want to work with you? What is it about you that means that they are not interested? Talk to the people who don't want to use your services so that you can understand more about how you are perceived and how you're coming across. Talk to people who disagree with you. Um, one example is um, child sponsorship. It's a, a big issue in the mission world. It's a very successful way of um, getting people involved. People like to sponsor children. And yet there is a significant literature suggesting that child sponsorship is not a good way forward. Now, I'm not making a statement one way or another on that issue. But if you're involved in child sponsorship, you need to be listening to your critics. If nothing else, it'll help you to do it better. But if all you ever read are the positive stories, you won't be understanding as much as you could do. And then the other people you need to be listening to are church leaders in the UK. Um, it is my experience that mission agency leaders almost all say we have fantastic relationships with our supporting churches. And yet, for the most part, when you talk to church leaders, they say exactly the opposite. There is a disconnect between the perception of how churches and missionaries are getting on between churches and missionaries and mission agencies. Mission agencies are far more positive about their relationships with churches than churches are about their relationships with them. I, I don't know why that is, but as mission agency leadership, you need to be talking very seriously to churches about how they perceive you. Having done all that, I think mission agency leadership need to spend a lot more time in reflection. For boards, it is very difficult. You meet twice, three, four times a year. You have a huge agenda to get through. Much of the stuff is determined for you by the Charities Commission, things you have to do. But we need to be spending time in reflection, thinking through the information that you gather from multiple sources and praying it through. I think one of the key things we have to do at the moment is to reevaluate the role of devotions in board and staff meetings. Stick with me for this. Um, the way we tend to do things is to have a devotion at the beginning. You know, um, somebody's been delegated to give a um, 10 minute talk on a Bible passage, a time of prayer, and then into the business. And sometimes um, I will admit I get a little frustrated that it takes so long to get into the stuff you've come to the meeting for. But it is meditating on scripture prayerfully that will help us to learn what God wants of us. I think we need to integrate our Bible study, our prayer much more into the, the main body, the main business of the meeting. If you have a devotion on a particular passage at the start of a meeting, when you come to a decision, turn back to that passage and say, how does this speak to us? Intersperse prayer much more through the meetings. Don't just 
go through a risk report and yeah, everything's fine, sign it off. Take time to pray about what are the possible risks? What have we missed? Is there some scripture passage that is appropriate? Spending more time in the word, more time in prayer is central to knowing what God wants us to be doing at this point. I hope that's helpful. Um, there is no magic bullet. But as mission agencies, we have to be aware there are these three huge storms. The growth of the church around the world, the decline of the church in the UK and the proliferation in mission agencies, which make business as usual un unsustainable. We are going to have to change. And if we're going to change, we have to change in ways that make us relevant. And to do that, we need the aid of the Spirit through prayer and through study of the Scriptures. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Hope that you found this both interesting and informative. If you'd like more content like this, you can find it at our blog, www.kuya.net, or on our YouTube channel, KuyaNet. If you'd like to support this work, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash KuyaNet. The music is Adding the Sun by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com and it's licensed on a Creative Commons 3.0.